You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment. But first, some breaking news about a crash that's closed Highway 99 in both directions at Porto Cove. Yeah, Squamish RCMP say it happened around 5 o'clock. Two vehicles are involved. No word on injuries, but fire ambulance and RCMP are on scene. As we mentioned, if you are expecting anyone coming home from that direction, both lanes of the highway are closed at the moment. We'll keep an eye on that situation, update you as more details come in. Right now, there is reason for cautious optimism in the transit strike tonight. Both sides have agreed to return to the bargaining table tomorrow. But if there isn't meaningful progress, job action will escalate on Friday. Grace Key joins us from Vancouver with the very latest on that. Grace, what are bus drivers planning to do on Friday and how will that impact service? Well, the union is saying that if the negotiations don't go over very well in the next couple of days, then bus drivers will start refusing overtime on Friday. And the union says that could affect 10 to 15 percent of the system. After 12 days of job action, Coast Mountain Bus Company and the union representing transit workers will be back at the bargaining table on Wednesday. We're going to call their bluff today and see whether or not they're serious about bargaining. We're going to give it Wednesday. We're prepared to go Thursday. Uh, but ultimately, if this escalates on Friday, it will be the company to blame and not the workers. I welcome the union's announcement today to return to the bargaining table. I'm very much encouraged by this development and hope that it will lead to an agreement that benefits both parties. Our staff and our customers have asked us to resolve this issue, and that is exactly what we're working towards. A ban on overtime for maintenance and skilled workers impacted some bus routes and cancelled several C-bus sailings. Bus passengers are hoping this will soon come to an end. It's been going on for a while. I don't know if they're going to yeah. get everything settled in time up until Friday. I'm hopeful, but I don't know. I think slim chances maybe. I'm kind of scared because I always use the public transportation. So I think they should think about people before going to strike, right? Unifor is warning that if talks don't go well, bus drivers would refuse overtime shifts starting on Friday, and that could affect 10 to 15 percent of the system. If we have to escalate this Friday after two days of bargaining, that sends a message to us that the company was never serious about the outstanding issues, and we will take that as a very provocative sign on their part, and we will respond accordingly. Premier John Horgan also commented, saying he was hopeful to hear both sides were talking again. I'm grateful to hear that the parties are going to get back to the table. I, I believe in free collective bargaining. It's, uh, it's the way forward. I'm hopeful that uh, both sides will be able to find an agreement so the traveling public can carry on and go about their business. All right, Grace, there will be uh, a lot of interest in those negotiations. What do we know about the timeline for the talks? So first thing tomorrow morning, that'll be at the Sheraton Guilford Hotel. Wages, benefits and working conditions continue to be key points there. We will, of course, be watching those negotiations closely and bring you any updates on how the talks are going. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. Grace Key reporting live tonight. All right. If you prefer to drive and fill up, you might be interested to know the second and final report into our unusually high gas prices still fails to explain why there's such a disparity compared to other jurisdictions. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the factors behind the 13-cent difference are still a mystery. 
gas prices in Metro Vancouver have dipped in recent days, but they're still much higher than most parts of the country. I feel like that's the Vancouver tax. Like, everything here is more expensive. Do other provinces pay that large amount? Do you know what I mean? Higher pricing that's highly questionable, according to the latest report from the BC Utilities Commission. Based on the pricing methodology that they, uh, the oil companies told us that they're using, it's 13 cents. It seemed to be an unnecessary portion of the charge. The commission report follows one released in August, and it concludes that evidence from the five major retailers operating in BC just doesn't add up. We've got some ideas that we'll be bringing forward in the weeks ahead in the legislature in British Columbia, but I think the federal government has a role to play as well. Those ideas expected to include fuel transparency legislation, which would force gas supply companies to hand over data on how prices are set. I don't know any more about the transparency legislation than you do, um, but if, uh, if, if a reporting program was designed uh, properly, uh, then we could uh, potentially learn, learn more. The unexplained extra price for gas costs British Columbians an estimated $490 million every year. John Horgan said six months ago he had a range of options and he was going to provide relief on gas prices and absolutely nothing has happened. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, let's bring in Keith Baldry on that point. Keith, what happens next and when, if ever, are we going to see a change at the pumps? Well, I think change is still a long ways off, Chris, but there are a number of moving parts. This thing is not over yet. As you, as Catherine mentioned in her story, the big thing to come, and we're not sure if it's going to come this legislative session or the next one, is the so-called fuel transparency law. That will require oil companies to divulge up till now confidential financial information that will explain how they set their price at the pump. So again, we don't know whether that's in the fall or the spring. Also, the Utilities Commission, in its report today, referred to a potential for a market-by-market study of uh, regional markets because it does vary from uh, region to region. In fact, particularly in Powell River where they've been stuck on a buck 59 and nobody knows why that is. So that may be something that's coming as well. Also, the commission again notes that if the Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, expansion project is completed, that could have a positive impact on prices at the pump because potentially more gasoline coming our way. And finally, as John Horgan talked about Ottawa having a role, that involves uh, his government uh, pressuring uh, and lobbying the, uh, the federal government, Justin Trudeau, to allow more refined uh, gasoline in the existing pipeline, and that could have an immediate impact on prices in Metro Vancouver. Horgan, again, hopeful here that now that the election's out of the way and all that pre-election stuff is, is gone as well, the new Trudeau, Trudeau government could focus in a much clearer way than it has up until now on the pipeline issues. Nevertheless, as I said off the top, don't look for immediate relief here. This is very much a long-term game. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Thanks, Keith. Homicide investigators were called in following reports of a disturbance in Surrey. RCMP first called to 124th Avenue near Old Yale Road in the Wally neighborhood just before 5 last night. When they arrived, they found a man suffering from critical injuries. Police say despite attempts to revive him, he died of those injuries. Our victim is a man in his 30s. We have an idea of who he is. So at this point, we're not releasing uh, his identity. We don't believe that this is a random incident. Uh, at this point, there's nothing to suggest that this is linked to uh, any gang conflict. We believe we're looking for a suspect that was wearing a dark uh, hoodie, dark hooded sweater, dark pants, and this person may have injuries himself. 
Meantime, Houston RCMP are investigating a homicide. Officers were called to a home Sunday afternoon for a report of a shooting. The victim's name is not being released. Police say it appears to be an isolated incident and there's no risk to the public. Maple Ridge is set to join a growing number of B.C. municipalities taking tougher action against aggressive panhandlers. City Council is expected to give final approval tonight to a bylaw aimed at creating safer streets. Aaron MacArthur explains the changes and the feedback from the community. If it passes tonight at Council, then Maple Ridge panhandlers will have a whole host of new rules they have to follow if they want to ask people for money. Council is calling it the Safer Streets Bylaw, and it means panhandlers will have to give pedestrians the right of way. They can't block people's access anywhere if they want to ask for money. They won't be able to ask for money near ATMs or daycares or liquor stores. It also means they can't ask for money after sunset or they'll face a bylaw fine of $100. Maple Ridge certainly not the only community to have passed anti-aggressive panhandling bylaws recently, but critics are already jumping all over it, saying it only marginalizes already vulnerable people. And even people we talk to on the streets of Maple Ridge today say while they support the idea, they're not sure it will make a difference. Where are panhandlers going to get $100 to pay a fine? You know? <laughs> that that's not going to deter them. I think it's not a bad thing. Uh, it is pretty, the panhandling is pretty bad around here. I mean, they need help. They don't need rules, right? That's what punishing people who are already in last place, like, come on. And this law will criminalize the presence of homeless people in public. It will criminalize poor people for being poor and for doing uh, necessary survival things to do with their poverty. Initial votes on this bylaw passed by a margin of six to one. We hope to be able to talk to members of City Council tonight after the vote. Back to you. Thanks, Aaron. The surprise answer that got Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek all choked up coming up on the News Hour. Also ahead, a freak accident that'll have you looking up next time you walk by a high rise. That's later. Right now, though, the streaming wars are ramping up. And as the number of players in the industry grows, we got Netflix, Apple TV, and now Disney Plus. So, too, does the demand for good content. After all, those services are fighting for subscribers. And as Ted Chernecki reports, that's very good news for local production houses. It's the age of instant gratification. It seems nobody wants to sit down at the appointed hour and watch regularly scheduled programs or even stuff recorded. The digital pipe is allowing companies to stream anything to your device of choice and there's a game changer just around the curve on this digital highway. With the advent of 5G coming online, it's going to be taking content that used to stream like a garden hose and now is going to stream like a fire hose. Small wonder then that new streaming services are popping up regularly, and that's a very good thing for content providers, like the more than 600 workers at this Vancouver animation company. They focus on very young children's shows because not only do kids have sticky fingers, they force parents to stick with a paid subscription if that kid's favorite show is on that streaming service. They call it the sticky factor. We used to, in the cartoon division, uh, create content and try to vie for, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 spots on a Saturday. And now with streaming, you know, you've got Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Hulu, HBO Max, Peacock, the list goes on. They're working on 17 productions here. In fact, BC is now considered the animation capital of North America. But what's good for content providers may not be so good for consumers. 
oh, $20 if you're a sports fan for DAZN. And then, you, oh, you want Disney Plus, so that's another $9. So once you start adding it up, you know, cable starts to look kind of good. The irony here is that this is all starting to look like cable TV 2.0. Consumers fought long and hard to force cable and telecom providers to debundle their programs, only now to have streaming services do the same thing. If you want a particular show, you'll have to subscribe to the whole service. With different family members who want to watch different things, the, your prices can go like crazy and through the roof, and that's what we're seeing. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Meantime, Disney's big streaming launch could have gone smoother. That's right. Technical glitches left thousands of Disney Plus subscribers logging on to see an error message instead of movies and television shows. Tonight, the House of Mouse is diving into the streaming wars, but not without some hiccups. Disney Plus launching today, attempting to become Netflix's biggest rival. The service boasts thousands of TV shows and movies. Oh, it's a beautiful dress. Frustrated new customers tweeting hashtag Disney Plus fail soon after its debut. Many getting this error message when they tried to start watching. Disney said consumer demand exceeded our highest expectations and the company spent most of the day trying to resolve the issue. Once they see what the platform looks like, I think all is going to be forgiven. Disney Plus has a competitive price tag at seven bucks a month or $70 for a yearly subscription. And that can add up fast. Signing up for these seven streaming services totals about $75 a month, not including your internet bill, which on average costs $66. The key here is to establish yourself as an essential part of somebody's streaming bundle. Do I think that five or six major streaming services are going to be able to survive? Probably not. <laughs> Services hoping to hook you as more companies battle it out for your binge. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. A climate change crusader appears to be on a mission in Victoria, placing homemade tickets on gas-burning vehicles. And while the notes accuse the owners of missing the memo when it comes to climate change, Kylie Stanton tells us why the message may be lost in the delivery. Whoever's behind this message isn't holding back. It's quite shocking. Drivers in Oak Bay and Victoria woke up Sunday to find these notes placed under their windshield wipers, shaming them for their driving habits. It's very aggressive and just seems like almost forceful. The front of the handbill reads, yes, this is a crisis. You are the problem. And on the back, it gets personal stating when you see your kids, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, the people to who you are passing the world on to, I suggest you tell them to their face that you hate them, something residents are calling extremely upsetting. I, I think it's very, they're very intolerant and, and very presumptuous, and, and I think it's wrong. It's suspected the tactic stems from the emerging climate strikes around the globe, where youth take to the streets demanding action. While that has shown to have some success, experts say the notes are counterproductive. The last thing you want to do is, is create a, a barrier when this is something we've all got to act on together. It's a nonpartisan issue. We've got to reach across and find ways to come together, find solutions. Just starting it up. An increasing number of people are already doing their part. According to ICBC, in 2018, there were 17,177 electric vehicles registered, a 96% increase over 2017. And so far this year, up to September, 
there was been 31,230, up another 82%, and we're not even over. But shaming drivers with this tactic isn't going to help things move in the right direction. All they do is they circle the wagons and get defensive. A person or group has yet to claim responsibility for the notes, making it all the more frustrating for drivers who just want a chance to start an open conversation. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Staggering new numbers are highlighting the serious danger and costly impact of drug-resistant superbugs. The report warns in the coming decades, infections resistant to medications could rise substantially. Nadia Stewart has more on how that could impact the health and the wealth of Canada, as well as possible solutions to mitigate the problem. It is that time of year when a cold or the flu can have people looking for relief sometimes in the wrong places. If you're not feeling well, if you've got some sniffles, it shouldn't be a, a you know, a right to the doctor's office and asking for an antibiotic. Pharmacist Gianni Del Negro says many people skip over-the-counter remedies, deepening the reliance on antibiotics. You start developing bacterial resistance. So in other words, you end up getting bacteria that become resistant to the antibiotics that we're using. So that obviously can be quite dangerous when you, when you have common ailments that suddenly can't be treated with your typical antibiotic. Del Negro's concerns form the basis of a warning echoed in a study released Tuesday. Experts with the Council of Canadian Academies found about 26% of bacterial infections were resistant to treatment last year. But that number could hit 40% by 2050. In 2018, those stubborn infections contributed to over 14,000 deaths. By 2050, that number could climb to 396,000. I liken it to a tsunami that's out to sea uh, and it's heading in towards the shore and it's going to land a lot sooner than uh, climate change is. Dr. John Conley is part of the team behind the report. He says the data offers a rare snapshot of a worrying trend. It could cost Canada about $388 billion to deal with this. He says the numbers should not be ignored. I think this is a call for action. BC Health Minister Adrian Dix says his province is already taking steps to ensure it is not caught off guard. Better prescribing, a more informed public. We have to understand that we only use antibiotics for things that we need antibiotics for. All of these have been part of what we've been doing in BC for some time. But the panel says Canada needs a more comprehensive response, which means there's a lot more work still to be done. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A terrifying train crash caught on surveillance cameras in southern India. Two passenger trains colliding head-on. Six cars of one train, three on the other, knocked right off the rails by the impact. And you can see terrified passengers jumping out of the train cars just moments after the crash. At least 12 people were injured. Authorities are trying to determine what caused the accident, but first indications are pointing, obviously, to a signal glitch. A warning now about the dangers posed by window air conditioning units. It comes after an unthinkable tragedy in Toronto. An AC unit somehow dislodged from the eighth floor of an East End high-rise, striking a toddler as she was being pushed by her mother in a stroller. Global's Karen Lieberman reports. I heard her screaming um, and I ran on my balcony and I looked over and I could see her trying to revive her daughter. A heartbreaking scene as a mother tried desperately to save her youngest child. The two-year-old was sitting inside her stroller when an air conditioning unit fell from a window eight stories up. The mom, she was outside of the ambulance and she was just freaking out and I just put my arms around her and I was just holding her and she just started crying. 
Shireen Bromfield, a mother of three herself, helped to care for the woman's other two children. The family was coming home from school. Innocent little baby, you know. So we're all shaking up. Their mother's in the lobby right now just talking about it. We're all just like heartbroken. Toronto police rushed to the Toronto Community Housing Building in Scarborough to investigate. Yellow crime tape blocked off the area as the little girl's mangled stroller lay just behind the air conditioner. The building is undergoing a number of repairs outside, and at least six months ago, residents say they were offered new AC units to place inside and encouraged to give in their old ones. Last year, they had the windows replaced, brand new windows, and they gave everyone the option of keeping their old units in their windows or going for an indoor unit. Obviously, it wasn't improperly, and unfortunately, the little girl, she lost her life. It's the middle of November. Why is your AC in your window? Why? Inside one apartment, the newer portable air conditioner. The woman who lives here recalls seeing the child at the playground. I call all the time, hi princess, how are you? Or she smile and uh, uh, laughing. No charges have been laid by police, but TCHC is reviewing the incident and a spokesperson says it will take any appropriate action once the facts are known. On its website, the public housing agency warns its tenants improperly installed window air conditioners are a serious safety hazard to you and your family and can fall onto other people. Karen Lieberman, Global News. Powerful rainstorms in Italy are causing widespread flooding in Venice. Residents and tourists strapped on rubber boots to slosh through flooded streets as the water level peaked at about 1.3 meters this morning. The high water is running into cafes and stores in the tourist mecca of St. Mark's Square. The Italian weather office is warning water levels could rise even higher later tonight. U.S. President Donald Trump facing what could be one of the most consequential chapters of his presidency. The first televised impeachment hearings on Ukraine begin tomorrow. And the world will be watching. In the calm before the impeachment storm, Washington's bracing for a blockbuster day. Democrats in Washington would rather pursue outrageous hoaxes and delusional witch hunts, which are going absolutely nowhere. Don't worry about it. The president projecting confidence ahead of those impeachment hearings starting tomorrow with top diplomats Bill Taylor and George Kent, who paid a picture of a quid pro quo. The president's supporters slamming Democrats. They're relying on people like Bill Taylor as a star witness who is going to tell us something that is third or fourth hand information. NBC News has learned more about the GOP playbook. A strategy memo circulating encourages Republicans to point out the military aid the president appeared to be trading for personal political help ultimately flowed to Ukraine and that Ukraine's president said President Trump applied no pressure during their July phone call. Some allies trying to thread the needle. Do you think this was a perfect call? If in his mind, he thinks it was a perfect what call. What do you think? You know, I think it's never a good practice for us to ask a foreign country to investigate an American. But Democrats believe they will build support for their side by methodically laying out the facts of what they describe as extortion by President Trump. It's not just ink on a page anymore. They get to actually hear what they have to say. Back here in B.C., in health matters, the province inching closer to the halfway mark in its goal to create more affordable child care spaces. After just two years in government, we have realized our goal of 10,000 new affordable licensed child care spaces in British Columbia. 
The $1.3 billion investment in the Child Care BC plan will eventually create 22,000 new licensed spaces. It also allows BC families to access the Affordable Child Care Benefit and the Child Care Fee Reduction Initiative. The province estimates that so far more than 20,000 families have been able to tap into $10 a day child care resources and many more are seeing reduced fees. I lift my hands to the advocates who've worked so hard to put in place a plan that's fiscally responsible, that understands that childcare is not a social program, it's an economic program for families and for the broader economy. Uh, CEOs were telling me over and over again, you've got to bring down the cost of housing and you've got to provide childcare for my employees or they will go somewhere else. It's just that simple. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek got emotional on Monday's show when a contestant wrote words of support in the final Jeopardy round. I like that. Let's take a look at your response. Did you come up with the right one? No? What is we love you out? That's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> Costs you $19.95. You're left with five bucks. Okay. Drew uh, Gar's answer on Jeopardy caused Alex Trebek to get choked up and close to tears on Monday. Right before Gar's message, Trebek shared that he was re-entering treatment for pancreatic cancer. Trebek first announced his diagnosis back in March. Held it together. Mm-hmm. Just, just barely. He did well. Yeah. If you do win tonight, remember that no one cares about that award as much as you do. Okay? <laughs> Ricky Gervais is returning to host the Golden Globes in January. It'll be his fifth time. The popular British comedian, actor, producer, emceed the event from 2010 to 2012, and again in 2016, fearlessly skewering many attendees with irreverent jokes. The 77th Golden Globes will be held January 5th. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Sometimes you're high, as you know in this business. Sometimes you're high, sometimes you're low. Global News sits down with Don Cherry a day after his firing from Sportsnet. What he's saying today about his controversial You People rant and the words he wishes he would have used instead. That's right after Christie's forecast coming up. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at that forecast. And you can sum it up in one color. <laughs> That's right. Is it a color? Yeah, gray. <laughs> it's the one she's wearing. Uh, yeah, that's right. I didn't, uh, I picked this outfit for a reason, actually. Yes, a great day today, but at least the colors of the leaves are still out in full force. We're nearing the end of the season, certainly. Look at this shot, though, from, I'm going to show you the weather window right away here because it's spectacular. Sunshine Coast, thanks to Jack Pope for that. Uh, Japanese maple showing the oranges and reds. And he was asking, why is it that colors uh, change, the leaves change colors? Here's a quick look, Jack. Uh, so, what happens is in the fall, when it becomes a little bit cooler, the tree's chlorophyll begins to break down. It's the chlorophyll that gives it the green color, by the way. And so when it begins to break down, it leaves the other chemicals, and those are the ones that causes the other colors, the yellows, the oranges, and the reds that you saw in Jack's uh, photo there. And when do we get bright years? Well, we tend to get bright colors uh, are more likely when late summer is dry and autumn has sunny days with cool nights. Now, our autumn did have some sunny days with cool nights, but... 
our late summer was very wet. Remember September? We had 19 days of rain. So the, the leaves colors are a little dull, but not for all species, as you saw in uh, Jack's photo there. Now, a lot of areas woke up to winter today. This is in Kelowna. Not all parts of Kelowna saw snowfall, but certainly the higher terrain. Uh, the Kootenai region, this in South Slocan, and certainly the higher elevations, Silver Star and Big White getting a nice start to their season uh, today. Now, that system is now moving on. This next sucker here is moving north of our region. So we are going to catch one break, which will be really nice. But the north coast will see the rainfall. Most other areas, though, some sunshine in the mix for a day tomorrow. Now, we'll start off with a bit of cloud cover. Some areas, especially in the coastal regions, will see a little bit of drizzle in the morning, but a beautiful afternoon with a mix of sun and cloud. But we're right back into more of a fall-like pattern by late Thursday with periods of rain by the evening hours, and that will be on and off through our Friday and our weekend. Okay, back to you guys. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Now back to Don Cherry and his one-on-one interview with Global News. Cherry believing the full impact of what has happened probably won't hit him until this weekend. And while he refused during the interview at least to apologize for his rant about immigrants not wearing poppies, he did have something to say about his choice of words and the apology from his former co-host on Coach's Corner, Ron McLean. Do you regret the rant? Do you regret what you said, Don? Well, I think I, I think I used the word. I forget what the word it was, uh, anyone. But the, the, what, it, what I was, should have said, everybody. And if I had to do over again, I would have said everybody. It's just two words that changed the whole thing. And if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. It doesn't. I'm not whining about it. Uh, Thirty-eight uh, years is long enough, and it's a long time to go. And if I have to go out this way, I'm going out on a. Looks like I'm going out on a high, anyhow. What did you mean, though, when you said those? People? What I, what I wish I wish I had said was I wish everybody would wear a, a pocket, and I used the wrong word. The word that I used was those people that could have been Irish, it could have been Scotch, it could have been anybody. But there were other, there were four other words, though, that come from wherever. Well, whatever. Well, come from whatever. Scotch come from from whatever. Uh, the Irish come from wherever. Uh, and I know my parents, my grandparents came from Ireland. So that's what, or from wherever. You don't think that it deserves an outright apology, though. I mean, if you well, no, I I think that uh, I I was ready to apologize and uh, and for Sportsnet uh, Saturday night. If I had been on, uh, I was uh, going to put out a t- uh, tweet or whatever they do, and saying I was wrong. And uh, I think it could have smooth could have been smoothed over pretty good. But that's the way they wanted it, and uh, that's the way it goes. Have you? Do you want to apologize? Have no, no. I, I, I said I, I think the closest I'll come to apologize is saying I wish I had used every. I used different words. That's the only thing. It, it uh, and uh, I think Ron, if he had his apology after. What did you think of his apology? Very disappointing. Uh, we're still friends, but uh, I was very disappointed in. Uh, the way he handled it, and uh, what I don't want to go in and condemn him or anything like that, but I, very, I was very disappointed. Why, though? You- well, because he buried me. I don't think it's hit yet, and uh, I think it will hit after Saturday, and uh, it, it will be a little different in, in Saturday when I sit down and watch where I was uh, for 38 years, and uh, I have no idea, and I don't think Ron McLean has any idea what they're going to run uh, 
after the first period, uh, and so it'll be interesting to see. It'll be wa it'll be watched uh, for sure because everybody will be wanting to see what goes on at the end of the first period. That is true. A lot of people will be watching Saturday. I'm sure that interview, by the way, was done with uh, Morgan Campbell from mm -hmm. our Global Toronto affiliate, uh, and the full one is available on uh, on the Global website mm -hmm. if you'd like to watch the full. All right, it's not uh, it's not football. We're going to start with, despite the amazing game last night. It's no, hockey. we'll get to it, though, so hang on. No, mm -hmm. it's Canucks first because they're playing tonight. Actually, you know what? The Canucks have three home games this week. Uh, Colorado will be here Saturday. I'm going to do it in reverse order. Dallas on Thursday. And tonight it's Nashville, who have lost four of their last five. In fact, last Thursday, they got beat 9-4 by Colorado. But the Canucks have been struggling as well, as we all know. Four straight losses. And both of these teams do have the same number of points coming into this game. They both have 21. To get to 23, the Canucks are going to have to get in touch with their inner October and score more than once. We talked about it last night, but until they finally break through, it will be a topic of discussion. Even with one of the few guys on the Canucks not to score this year, Tyler Myers. You know, we didn't expect to go through the whole year without some adversity at times, and uh, we're going through a little bit right now, but... You know, I, you take a look at the last handful of games, we're still doing a lot of good things. Uh, you know, I, I still really like the way we're defending. Uh, we're just having a little trouble putting the puck in the net. And, uh, you know, when stuff like that happens, you just get a little simpler, go to the net and create a little traffic. And, uh, you know, we want to come out with a good effort tonight. Now that's the thing through this drought. The Canucks have all been saying it. They're still playing the right way. They haven't lost faith. They haven't started to get frustrated. Head coach Travis Green says as a coach, he would know for sure if his guys were starting to panic, starting to do things on their own, to break out of this malaise, and he doesn't feel that is the case. Whenever you're in the room, you can have a coach that tells you certain things, but you always know in the room most of the time. I think teams that know their own identity know when, they're, when they've played well and when they don't, and I think we're getting to that level with our group. You know, you, you, as a coach, you try to communicate with your group and tell them what you think of their game, or that's what we do. But I think they have a, a belief that there's a certain way they have to play to have success. And, uh, you know, ultimately you want to have a team that gets it before you walk into the room. And a lot of times they do. All right, let's go off to Winnipeg where the Jets are playing the Avalanche. And this isn't good. Mark Shifley running in the goalie. Pavel Francuz, although he was pushed in a little bit, I think. Yeah. Oh, and look at the goalie. He is like flat out. They had to uh, change net miners. This is a nice one. Just before the end of the first period, Kale McCarr, the move, the patience, the stick handling, the shot, all of it. A lot of people were touting this kid when he was in juniors that he was going to be a good one, and he has been so far for Colorado. Okay. The Seahawks-49ers rivalry basically went underground for a while as the 49ers had to rebuild, but it made a huge comeback last night. Seattle beat San Francisco in overtime, handed the 49ers their first loss of the season. It's a game that had most everything in it that makes a great football game. Amazing plays on offense, amazing plays on defense, momentum-turning mistakes. Even the field goal kickers became part of the drama. It was the kind of game that could make a veteran coach like Pete Carroll marvel at the show both teams put on. You won a nice, easy win. Just can 
feel it from the beginning of the game and you know eat the guac and the chips and just kind of kick back it ain't happening <laughs> it ain't happening no instead you get this Wilson pressure off the edge releases it and it is intercepted by and this And this. Does he have it in him again? And Seattle has done it. And that all was just in overtime. There was 60 minutes of drama before all of that. That was the craziest game I've ever been a part of. It was so much going on. It was the craziest game of my career, hands down. But most of Seattle's eight wins this year have been crazy close. Last week, also an overtime win. The Seahawks' average margin of victory this year has been five points, and in five of the eight wins, they have trailed at halftime, which was the case last night against the 49ers. I think the great thing about this game um, for our football team was just the resilience. We've had it all year. We've been, I think, the toughest team in terms of a resilience all year, in my opinion. I think that just how we stay encouraged, how we stay focused, how we just keep having the faith and keep believing that something great's going to happen. It seems like the undying optimism of head coach Pete Carroll and his quarterback Russell Wilson gives the rest of the Seahawks the ability to rally. Never thought we was going to lose. Uh, I always tell the guys, look, just keep playing on defense. Russ going to make something happen on offense. Defensive line. Here comes pressure. Wilson escapes. Here goes Russ. Past midfield. Inside the 40. My job is to win. My job is to do whatever it takes to win. And uh, that's the only thing I really care about. So it's been, it's been a joy just to, you know, uh, for us to be, you know, execute week in and week out. Well, it's been a few good days in Seattle. Sunday, the Sounders won the MLS Cup over Toronto at home in front of the biggest crowd ever to watch the game at CenturyLink Field. Today was parade day. Actually, Russell Wilson got back for this because he has a small ownership share in the Sounders. He actually said the final score would be 3-1. The weird thing, though, 11 Sounders weren't at the parade because they were called away by their home countries for national team duty. Seattle has won two MLS titles in the last four years. And yes, you're right. I gave Jadavian Clowney too many E's. I wondered. It's ja, J-A, Debian e. Clowney. I like the, the trophy, the MLS. It is nice, isn't it? two, I didn't really... Well, no, because they won one four years ago. Oh, they I got see. Okay, oh, got yes, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. I like the Stanley Cup. They right, didn't have to give it back. One. Okay, thanks, Squire. <laughs> turned into the best birthday ever for a young boy from Newfoundland. The 11-year-old Leafs fan, devastated after no one showed up at his birthday party. But things did a 180 when his father shared that story on social media. For this hockey superfan, it was a birthday to remember for all the wrong reasons. Cade Foster, alone with his cake, featuring two of his favorite players, but no one to share it with. His dad tweeting, My son Cade had his 11th birthday party last night. None of his invited friends came. That hurt. But soon the internet responded more than 50,000 birthday wishes, from Canada's Prime Minister to Luke Skywalker. In Toronto, Maple Leaf star Mitch Marner had another idea. When you saw that tweet, what was your reaction? Our group tried to start text each other, trying to figure out a play that uh, we can get him down here and, and you know feel a part of our team. This is Kate's happy birthday, this is Kate. And that is exactly what they did. Happy birthday. Next came the surprise bags of gear. That's for you. Get in the middle. And a chance to hang out with his idols. Right. Who is behind you right there? Catch Is that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Kate in absolute awe. Watching Toronto play practice? Yeah, I'm sorry, did you just say you're watching Toronto play practice? Yes. I don't believe you. 
What? We, we, we've gotten to see and experience things in the last two or three hours that I would never have been able to provide them. And the icing on the cake, a surprise delivery from the team's mascot. Should we sing a happy birthday? Let's do it, right? 18,000 new friends singing and celebrating as Cade's favorite team made his second 11th birthday party a hit. It was awesome. It was good. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Toronto. Best birthday ever is right. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Happy mm -hmm. birthday, Cade. All right, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So a nice day tomorrow. We may see a bit of cloud or drizzle in the morning, but that should clear pretty quickly. Thursday night, we're back to rain, though. Right. Just in time for the countdown to the weekend. That's right. right. <laughs> All right, good luck to the Canucks tonight. Let's see buckets and buckets of goals, huh? What do you think? Good night, all. Perhaps two is all you'll need. <laughs> Just get more than one. <laughs>